Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you here. Um, Well, let's pray, shall we? Father, we just come to you today and we just are so thankful for the people who have declared their faith in Jesus today. Uh, We're so thankful for, in the early service, Bill and Sue and Katarine and then for Michael. And we're so thankful that you are still building your church and drawing people to yourself. Father, we, we just come to you now and we pray that as we open your word that you would teach us and grow us as we come to it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start this morning by teaching you a principle. Here's the principle. What we pray for is what we care about. Let me say that again. Here's the principle. What we pray for is what we care about. We all pray for the things that concern us. Prayer is a window to the soul. It reveals what we really care for and really value. Now, the reason that I say this is because this morning, in the passage of the Bible that we are going to be studying together, Paul prays, we see what Paul prays for. And Paul prays for something that is completely different from what we mostly pray for. Most of the things that we pray for can be boiled down to two categories. Category number one, pain avoidance. Lord, this hurts, make it stop. Or category number two, change of circumstance. Lord, I don't like this, change it please. Now, no one likes pain and no one likes difficult circumstances, so it's natural to pray for those type of things. But often, if we only pray for those type of things, then all of our prayers will be overwhelmed and we will never pray for anything else. And it's interesting, when you study the prayers of the Apostle Paul, you hardly see him mentioning any of those things in those categories. He doesn't pray for God to take away his difficult circumstances, and he doesn't pray for God to take away his pain. And this is surprising because of what we know of what Paul's life was like. So what did Paul pray for? Well, in the book of Ephesians that we've been studying on the Sunday morning, the book contains two prayers. One at the end of chapter 1, which we have already studied, and one at the end of chapter 3 that we're going to be looking at today. The the first prayer in chapter 1 we saw was a prayer for enlightenment. Paul prayed that the eyes of believers would be opened so that they might know God better. And this is a prayer that we all need to pray because we, we need to pray that the truth that we know will not just be something in our minds, but it will come to lodge deep in our hearts. But today, we're going to be looking at the second prayer, which is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to be starting at verse 14 today. So look down your Bibles in verse 14. We read this. Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, upon first glance, it might not seem like this posture of Paul in prayer is anything remarkable. I mean, many of you might already pray by kneeling down. I remember when my dad taught me and my brother to pray. He taught us to kneel down beside our bed at night, and he taught us to pray, Jesus, tender shepherd, be now with me. 
Keep me safe to morning light. Bless mummy and daddy and brother Stevie. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. That was the prayer that he taught us. And I've passed that prayer on to my kids, but because I have so many kids, it's a little bit longer, that prayer uh, for my kids. And so you might think that there's anything remarkable about this posture and prayer of kneeling. But for a, a Jewish man in the first century, Jewish people, the way that they would pray is they would pray standing up with their hands before God. So in Paul getting on his knees, it's a demonstration of his passion and his fervency. He says, I am bowing before the Father to pray. Now, um, when we look at this prayer, if you look down in your Bible at this prayer, you know, it's so easy for us to get lost in the details. Paul heaps phrase upon phrase upon phrase upon phrase until he gets to this amazing doxology that's found in verses 20 to 21. But really, the, the, the prayer really just has one simple request. The simple request is found in verse 16. Look down in your Bibles. Paul says he gets on his knees and he prays to the Father that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you, here it is, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The word inner being in Greek is literally your inner man. It's that inner person, the real you, out of which all of your life flows. You have an inner person. You talk to yourself. You speak to yourself. It is the place where all of your beliefs come. And Paul says, I am praying that you might be strengthened in that inner person by the Holy Spirit. Now, how can we be so sure that this is Paul's basic request? Well, the key is found in verse 13, before the prayer. Look in verse 13, Paul says this, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, the phrase, not to be discouraged, can be translated, not to lose heart or not to give up. You see, Paul was in prison. And as the Ephesians are thinking about their pastor being in prison, there was this very real temptation that they might have been tempted to give up and to throw in the towel. And so Paul says in verse 14, for this reason, what reason? The reason that they might be tempted to give up and throw in the towel as they see him suffering. He says, for this reason, I pray that the Holy Spirit might strengthen your inner person. You know, this is a prayer that is probably relevant to many people who are here today. You know, because we all suffer and go through things that can sap our spiritual strength. Discouraging circumstances, monotonous routine, physical weakness, personal failure, unwanted interruptions, and unfinished responsibilities. These things can sap our spiritual strength and make us lose heart and make us think that we should just throw in the towel. And maybe there are some people in this room today and you've contemplated throwing in the towel and giving up because you've been going through some difficult circumstances or some personal failure or you faced some physical weakness in your body and you felt like giving in because it sapped you of spiritual strength. You know, Chris Goodway and I, we were over in uh, Nepal a couple months ago. And uh, when we were over in Nepal, we heard this story from one of the Nepalese pastors who we were teaching for a week over there. Uh, he was sharing how one day he came home uh, from work and he found that his daughter never came home from school. So immediately he went 
to the school to find out where his daughter was, and he couldn't find her. So he got a whole heap of friends, and they searched through all of their sort of township, but they couldn't find her anywhere. She just was gone. And so then what he did is he had a sleepless night, as you can imagine, because this is a parent's worst nightmare, is it not? To just your, your daughter doesn't return home from school. And so he got all of his friends together, and the next day they went through all of the Kathmandu Valley, seeking to try and find his daughter, but she was gone. Two weeks later, a restless two weeks later, he found that uh, one of the members of his congregation, a, ma a man in his congregation, had kidnapped his daughter and had taken her to India. And so he went to India and rescued his daughter. The kidnapper went to prison, but he was sapped of his spiritual strength. He came back to his church and he just said, Lord, I don't know how I can continue in ministry. I don't know how I can go on. But he said, as he turned to the Lord, the Lord strengthened him and gave him spiritual strength in his inner person. Maybe there are some people here today and you don't feel like you can go on because of the things that you are facing. Well, this is a prayer for you. Lord, strengthen me with power by the Spirit in my inner person so that I won't lose heart, so I won't throw in the towel, so that I can continue to go on. Well, what we see in this passage is that if you pray that prayer, if you're bold enough to get on your knees and passionately ask God for strength, then what the Spirit will do is He will do three things. He'll do three things in order to strengthen your inner man. The first thing that He will do is that He will lead you into further surrender to Christ. Look down in verse 17. He says uh, that we might be strengthened with power in our inner person so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell has the idea of Christ coming and making a home in your heart. Now, we all know that there is a difference between a house and a home. And Christ may be in your house, but he mightn't yet be at home in your life. You know, let's suppose for a second that I go on a trip like I sometimes do, and I'm billeted out to a family who are going to look after me while I'm away. And they take me and they say, Timon, this is your room that you're going to be staying in. And then what do you think the first thing they're going to say to me is? They're going to say, make yourself, make yourself at home, Timon, make yourself at home. Now, I know, and, and when people say that to us, we, we know what they mean. They, they're just being polite. They don't literally mean that I can go to the refrigerator, open it up, and get whatever I want, do they? They don't mean that, I can, that I'm free to walk through all of the home and just walk into every single room, go through their drawers, and, and look at all their financial papers. They know that, 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 that that's not what I'm supposed to do. I know that I'm not supposed to lie out on the couch and hog the remote control like I sometimes do. Because while I'm in their house, it is not my home. You know, unfortunately, many of us have the same idea when it comes to Jesus. We've invited Jesus into our lives and politely said to him, make yourself at home, Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just want to be in the house. He wants to actually rule over your home. He wants to be over all of your life. He wants to be Lord. You know, many years ago, Robert Munger wrote a little book called My Heart, Christ's Home. In it, he imagines a believer's heart as a room, as a home with many rooms. The heart has 
a living room, a dining room, a bedroom, a kitchen, a computer room, a TV room, many closets, and an attic. You know, too many Christians, they, they, they say to Jesus, Jesus, it's, they, they invite him in, and Jesus, it's okay for you to stay there in the entranceway, but I don't want you to have any other part in the rooms of my life. Do you know what I've found is that what God does is he takes us through difficult circumstances and difficult things to get us to the point where we will surrender further to Christ. Where we say, Jesus, you can have this room as well. Jesus, you can have my control. Jesus, you can have my, my reputation. Jesus, you can have this, you can have this, you can have this, you can have this. Jesus, you can have all of me. And this is a progressive work. And you see, if you pray, because part of the reason why we often lose heart is because we're still in control. And what the Spirit will do, if you say, Spirit, strengthen me, is He will start to shine the light on your heart and He'll start to point out areas where you need to let now Jesus in and give that to Jesus and surrender that to Jesus. Because what, what does He want from all of us? He wants a deeper surrender. He wants more control. He wants us to give more over to Him. It's never, it's never the question is never having more of God. It's the question of God having more of us in our lives. Well, the second thing that the Spirit will do as the Spirit seeks to strengthen our inner person is not only will He lead us into further, further surrender, but this is so beautiful. He will lead us into further comprehension of the love that God has for us in Christ. Notice in verse 17, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, here he is using two metaphors, one from agriculture. When you come to Christ, you get rooted in the love of Christ. Your roots go deep down into Christ's love. But you're also founded or built upon Christ's love. This is a, a building metaphor. The foundation of your life is the love of Christ. You see, if you become a Christian, the way that you become a Christian is that you comprehend this amazing thing, that though you're a sinner, and though you're under God's judgment, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you on the cross. And you turn and you believe in the love that God has for you in Christ and you become a Christian. So becoming a Christian begins by actually being rooted and grounded in the love of God that he has for you in Jesus. But notice that Paul goes on to pray this. He goes on to pray that you have been rooted and grounded in love that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So you not only begin the Christian life by understanding the love of God, but you continue to grow as a Christian by this further marveling and coming to comprehension about how much God truly loves you. That he, that he really does love you. That He really loves you. God loves you. You further come to this understanding of how much He loves you. You know, uh, Hannah and David are here this morning, and in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be walking my daughter down the aisle. Isn't that awesome? And she's going to be getting married to this beautiful man, and you better not hurt her. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> but, um, but I'm actually serious. No, I'm... Um, <laughs> But, um, uh, and, so, um, and so they're going to be walking down the aisle, and I'm certain that they are in love now. 
I'm certain that. But they're going to experience more love for one another on the day that they get married and they make those vows. And then if their marriage continues to be healthy in five years' time, they will appreciate more the love that they have for one another. My wife and I, Tegan, we, uh, next year, will be celebrating 25 years of marriage. And I can honestly say that I love that woman now more than I did when we got married at the age of 19. I've come to appreciate her love more and more and more. And this is what Paul is saying, that we would come to appreciate the love of Christ more and more and more and more that he has for us, that God has for us in Christ. Let me show you a diagram. Let me show you a diagram. This is a diagram from the Sonship Course. You know, when you become a Christian at your conversion, you have this awareness of God's holiness, that you're a sinner and you need God's forgiveness. And you're aware that Christ has died on the cross for you and that he has paid the price for your sins so that you can have a relationship with a holy God. But let me tell you what happens as you're a Christian, as you, as you grow as a Christian, you have this growing awareness of God's holiness. As you get further to the sun, you feel more of its heat. And in the same way, as you grow and, and, and start to know how holy God is, you have this growing awareness of how sinful you are, that God just doesn't treat sin as something that's external to you, but he thinks about the attitudes of your heart and the intentions of your heart. And as you get into his holiness, you realize how wicked your heart is, how much you are filled with jealousy, how much your words reflect this sinful heart. And so you have this growing awareness of your sinfulness. And it would be crushing for you, apart from the fact that you get a bigger appreciation for the gospel, a bigger appreciation for the cross. Just you get a bigger appreciation for the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of God's love for you. You know, the early church, when they read those words, they couldn't help but think that they, that they described the cross, the height and the depth, that on the cross, his feet were nailed to the cross, the length and the breadth that his hands were pierced on the cross for you and me. It is completely true that the greatest place where the love of God is displayed is on the cross. W.A. Criswell, he has this sermon entitled God's Love in Four Dimensions where he takes this verse and John 3.16 and he says, For God so loved the world. That's the breadth of God's love. He loved the entire world, including you. That he gave his only son. That's the length of God's love that he went to. He gave that which is most precious to him so that you could be with him, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That's the depth of his love. He doesn't want you to perish, but that should have everlasting life. That is the height of his love, that if you come to Christ, you, you, you get loved not only now, but for all eternity. You see, as one writer put it, Christ's love is broader than the universe. It's longer than time. It's higher than hope. It's deeper than death. And as you are strengthened by the Spirit on the inside and you realize your own weakness and limitations, God does this amazing thing and says, in spite of all your weakness, in spite of all your sin, which I already know, I love you. And I've demonstrated it 
with the death of my son on the cross. Maybe some of you need, you're on the verge of giving up today, and you need the Spirit to help you further comprehend in all of your failure, in all of your, where you're at, God loves you. God loves you. But thirdly, thirdly, the Spirit will not only lead us into deeper surrender, He'll not only lead us into a deeper comprehension of God's love, but He'll lead us to fullness, the fullness of God. He will fill us with the fullness of God. This is an amazing phrase at the end of verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you know, the whole purpose of the Christian life is not just to be forgiven. That's an amazing blessing. That's an amazing blessing. But Jesus just didn't come for us to be forgiven. He came to give us the gift of the Spirit so that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. If I had a bucket of water right here, dirty water, right? What would I do to get rid of the dirty water? I'd chuck out the dirty water out of the bucket and I'd clean the inside of the bucket. But still, a bucket isn't just supposed to be left empty. It's supposed to be filled with something. And this is the amazing thought. We as human beings, we're not meant to just be empty, but we were created to be filled up by our Creator, to be filled with the fullness of God. This is why we were created. It's a, it's a mind-blowing prayer that you might be filled to the measure of all. This is a mind-blowing prayer that Paul is praying. All the fullness of God. You might deeply experience all that God has for you in Christ. That His love might drive out your hatred. That His purity might drive out your lust. That His holiness might drive out your greed. God, fill me with yourself so I'm no longer filled with Timon, but I'm filled with Christ. For many years, I used to have on this pulpit these words written to remind me when I preach. He must increase I must decrease. This is the complete picture of the Christian life. That I must decrease and God must increase so that He can be all in all in my life. So He can radiate out of me His glory and His greatness in my life. So, do you need strength today? Do you feel like you're on the edge of giving up? If you ask God for strength, pray that prayer, Lord, give me strength. What he will do is the Spirit will lead you to deeper surrender. The Spirit may give you a deeper comprehension of the love of God in Christ for you. And the Spirit will fill you with all the fullness of God. Now, you might say, well, Timon, I've tried to pray that prayer before. And I'm not really sure it works. How can I be confident that God will answer this prayer and fill me and strengthen me and give me the ability to cope. Timon, you don't know the circumstances I'm dealing with. You don't know the situation I'm dealing with. I think that situation that my pastor friend in Nepal was dealing with was a pretty bad situation, wouldn't you agree? But even the testimony of others is not enough. Paul brings out the biggest gun that he has. In verse 20, look down, he says, Now... Unto him, everyone say, unto him, who is able to do immeasurably more. 
That's good. You keep on going with me here. (laughs) Then what we ask or imagine to Him be glory in the church. Yeah, I know you're not able to do it. (laughs) Welcome to the Christian life. You're weak. I'm weak. We can't do it in ourselves. That's why we need to turn to Him for strength. But He is able to do immeasurably more than what you think and even imagine. In the King James Version, which I grew up learning, it went something like this. Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. You know that verse? Anyone here know that? The way that that was translated? Exceedingly abundantly. In English, you can't really do that. That's putting two uh, like words together that don't really go. But the reason that the translators did that is because this word in Greek is this amazing word. It says, think of how much... You can have abundance and then God can do more than that. He can do more than, a, than exceedingly abundantly than what you think or even imagine because that is how great God is. You might have a problem here today, but God can do more because He is God, a God eternal. And this will demonstrate glory in the church. Glory in the church comes from us in our weakness, turning to Him to be our strength. So I wondered here today, are you on the verge of giving up? Are you on the verge of quitting? Maybe you need to pray this prayer. Lord, give me the strength. If you're not yet a believer here today, maybe you're not yet a Christian. You know, I just want to say, if you're not a Christian, I want to say, you know, remember the height, the breadth, the depth of God's love. For God so loved the world, that included you, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever should, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, the cross is the greatest demonstration of God's love. At the cross, we see heaven come down and we see earth meet as the justice of God and the love of God meet so that we can be forgiven of our sin, cleansed, and so that we can know God. All you need to do is repent and turn and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, let me pray.